Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavuta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Psachim, daf hey, page five. We are very glad to be presenting to you uh, for this fine daf at this fine time. I don't know how many of you were affected by the very severe outage of the Amazon Web Services, but apparently, and we had no idea, Anchor, the app on which we record this podcast, is contingent upon the Amazon Web Services working, and apparently half of the internet of the entire world went down um, the day at the time, really at the time, or several hours before the time, but then into the time that we would usually be recording. So we are recording late, but successfully, we hope, and we hope that none, none of our listeners was adversely affected, or not for too long, by this many hours of an outage that in a world that we've come to expect to always work when it comes to all things internet. Right. Um, but this is almost like real-time recording. Like if we did this podcast live, that's actually being punished to public <laughs> that we're, uh, you know, that we're recording here. Indeed. Um, okay. So I've mentioned before, and we're, and I said that we would delve into it. Here's one of the days we're going to delve into it, that these dapim, these opening pages of Masech Psachim have an awful lot of what we call Midrash Halacha. I mean, it's not just we who call it this. It is what it's called. Midrash Halacha, meaning taking the biblical verse, verses and darshaning them and explicating them for the sake of, well, for the sake of their meaning, but in the context of Halacha. The tricky part of it, though, is that it's a it's a challenge to to discuss. It's a challenge to find the nuggets, not to read and explain, but to find the nuggets to to have a a meatier topic to discuss. So I'm going to begin here at the top of the, uh, the daf, on the beginning of a medalif, and I'm going to then go and hopefully we'll see how mid- the Midrash Halakha kind of works, or at least what it does as we go. The beginning is not so much. I mean, it. you'll see. Okay. So what happens? We have the phenomenon of removing seor, leavening, uh, yeast, from to the achilat chametz. The we have two psukim in sefer shemot, parakud bed, parakud gimel, respectively, where we talk about not about we have two mitzvot really. One is removing leaven, and one is um, not eating chametz. Meaning, we have the first verse in Yudbet says, you know, you've got seven days of leavening should not be found in your homes, and anyone who eats leavening will be cut off. And then, and then we have the next uh, juxtaposition which is the prohibition against eating chametz with the mitzvah of eating matzah. Right? Don't eat. You know, in all of your, all manner of leavening, don't eat um, in your dwellings. And, and then, but also do eat matzot. Now, it's not, or rather, it's in all of your dwellings, you shall eat matzot. It doesn't mean you can eat your chametz outside of where you live. And beyond that, we also have a, the specification that the mitzvah of matzah is actually on that first night. 
Okay, so then the Gemara says, So maybe we need the verse then to, to come to include the night of the 14th in the obligation to remove the, the chametz, meaning the bior. Now, we all know from practice that on Orla Arbasar, in the evening or the night of the 14th, we check for the chametz, and then we do bior, we, we do the technical actual removing. Never mind the people may have spent a month or six months removing chametz from their homes from beforehand in terms of Pesach cleaning, but in terms of actual halachic bior chametz, that takes place on the daytime, the morning of the Arbasar of the 14th, right, where it's really Erev Pesach. But so the, here the Gemara says, Well, specifically, the verse says, So therefore, we know that the, the mitzvah of Biur Chametz takes place in the daytime and not in the evening when we do the Bidika. Again, we've talked about this. The Bidika is a Drabanan um, injunction. So maybe we should say that the Chametz has to be removed immediately from the morning, from dawn. Ah. But the verse has the word ach. Ach means, really means but, I guess. But the idea is that it's an extra word. And what is it doing there? So it must be to come to teach that there's a division of the morning, of the day of the 14th, to say, you know, this is the part of the day where you can have chametz, and this is the part of the day where we already are in the midst of beer chametz and we no longer can have it. Debe Rebishmal Tana, and then the school of Rebishmal taught the following. Matsinu Arbaasar Shinikra Rishon. We found that the 14th day is called Rishon. Rishon really means first. Shne'amar, Barishon, Barbaasar Yom Lachodesh. So it's a, it's a funny exposition here. On the first, on the 14th of the day of the month. Um, the implication I always understood was that it was the, on the, First, meaning the month. The month is the first one because Nisan, and this is a whole other separate category, even though Rosh Hashanah takes place in Tishrei, which is really the seventh month of the year, Nisan is the first month of the year. Uh, so so that's always the, the basic way I understood it. Here we're going to get into, and I'm actually not going to get into it, but the Gemara does, an extensive uh, treatise on the word Rishod, and when we have the word Rishon, and when we have the word Harishon, but let me just finish this a little bit. Rav Nachum Bar Yitzchak Gemar, Rishon Mikara Mashma Amarkra Harishon Adam Tivaleid. So Rav Nachum Bar Yitzchak says that from this pasuk itself, from the verse itself, it means that the re- removing of chametz on the fourteenth means that Rishon here means previous, meaning Barishon, like um, the earlier time, the first time. Not the first month, the way I first suggested it. I mean, I'm just I'm acknowledging that I'm wrong with this, right? My my intuitive understanding was incorrect, or at least here in the Gemara it's incorrect. Um, and then first then means not not a specific time, but it means the one before the others. And then how do we know this? Well, we've got a pasuk that says that Adam for um, Adam Rishon, but it's it's in the book of Eov. It says, Arishon Adam Tivaleid. Are you the first man born? Meaning, not Adam Arishon, but Eov. Are you the first man born? Um, and then the verse there continues, or, you bo- or you, were you brought forth from the hills? And then the idea there is that Rishon 
can mean the one before the others, the one preceding the others, as opposed to it being something actually specific. Um, okay. But then, and this is where we're not going to go through it all in detail, the Gemara continues to say, We've got another pasuk, another verse talking about Sukkot, which talks about the first day, Bayom Harishon. And what's the distinction now between Rishon and Harishon? And there's any number of verses that I actually did not count them. Um, but there's any number of, you can do it. There are any number of verses on this daf using the word Rishon or Harishon, depending. And they're going to suss out uh, the different possible implications. But again, it's it's in the in the land of theoretical. I think that the way midrash halacha is to explore all the different parameters of the different possible applications. It's not quite the same thing as as halacha, right? Midrash halacha is here explicating the verses in the halachic context, um, and it really is rishon after rishon after rishon after rishon. And also, by the way, there's a me rishon. It's not just harishon. So I don't want to, it's not difficult reading. Uh, I can encourage all of you to, you know, to skim through it or to look through it carefully. And I think that if you delve into each and all of the psukim here, any, any bit of this kind of um, following through all the different times or many of the different times that a particular word appears can make its own nice sheer. Um, but in the context of actual halacha pertaining to the 14th of the day of Nisa, the 14th day of Nisan, um, it doesn't really get us any further. Well, what's interesting to me is that when we compare this to Eruvin, which was really law that was only based on rabbinic law, right? Like it was not tied to any psukim, you know, so they sort of stated their opinions, went through, you know, all these different types of examples and sort of wanted to test the boundaries of like their own law that they were making around this particular area of Hilchot Shabbat. Here, I think we're seeing that in a way, you know, Tor Tav Halacha is almost in a way more complicated because you really have to account for every single Pasuk and really the nuances of those Pasukim. And I think this stuff is a great example of that. Like you can't just read a Pasuk and not think about like what words are being chosen you know, an extra of ha Rishon versus Rishon, right? Just even having one extra letter, what the context is of that word in other psukim. And therefore, it actually makes learning the bottom line halacha rather complicated. I hear you. I think, and I, I guess I don't have the authority to say this, but I think the difference between Midrash Halacha and the pages of the Gemara and halacha in the pages of the Gemara that also relies on the biblical verses to derive the halacha is exactly that distinction. Meaning these biblical verses are not being used really to derive the halacha. They're being used to explore the meaning of the word in the context of the biblical text, as opposed to um, truly figuring out what the halacha is going to be based on all of these verses. They're, they're, not, they're not all relevant. Meaning Adam uh, Rishon in in uh, in Eov is uh, to say that it means the the day before all the other days is on the one hand it's true but on the other hand it's also not significant in the question of what are we doing in terms of halacha practice. 
Right. And I think that um, I hear exactly what you're saying about that. And I think but I think some of what's also happening is and I think this always is a discussion with these team is they know what the bottom line halacha is. And then sometimes it's like, how do we fit it into all of these psukim that we have? Because there is a desire to create one coherent sort of body or understanding of halacha, particularly between the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat And when, you know, we mentioned this before, where there's sort of just this blanket, get rid of your chametz, right? That's really all the Torah says. And this concept of doing bedikar chametz is really rabbinic in origin, but yet the rabbis really wanted to fit in all the psukim and everything else that they're seeing in the Torah around the laws of chametz. Right. I will just also note one other thing here is that even though we have verse after verse after verse being offered for explication, there's no real dispute here. It's not a machloket, and there's no machloket in the classical sense of, I don't know, one rav says this and one rav says that, and they have to you know, be consistent in their reasoning and make sure that it really works across the board and so on. This is not that, right? This is, I, I, I no longer remember, even though you just said it, why I thought to say this in the context of what you were saying, Yordana, I'm sorry. But, but it seems to me that in the, in the discussion of how we're dealing with the biblical text as handled by the rabbis, right? This is the interplay of Torah Shvalpeh and Torah Shvalpeh. I think it's key to note that um, this kind of analysis is not the same thing as halakhic dispute. Right. And I, that segues very nicely into the piece that I want to read here, which is this brisa that's bought, brought on the bot- bottom of Amr Aleph, which I think illustrates this exact point, right? It's going to have a variety of opinions, but the bottom line halakha is not being disputed, right? Tanya nami hach, right? So we have a brisa here. Right, right. So it's quoting this pasuk in Shmot, Parakud Bed, Pasuk Tefav, right? That says, you know, Ach, you know, yet on the first day you should remove the chametz, the leaven from your houses. May erev yom tov, right? So it's saying that this means it's from erev yom tov; it needs to be removed. Oh, ain't no elav yom tov But then it's asking the question. Maybe right because it says yom harishon, the chametz only needs to be gone actually on the First day of Yom Tov itself. Tamud Lamar, Lo Tishchat Al Tam Zivchi. So now they quote another, you know, Pasuk, which is this is from Shmod Paraklamidala Pasuk Chafe, which is the mitzvah of actually doing um uh, of uh, doing the Korban Pesach. And it says, You should not slaughter the blood of my offering, right? The blood of this the Zevach here we're talking about is the Korban Pesach over Hamid. Now, first of all, I thought this was so interesting because, again, one thing we mentioned before was sort of the way that there's sort of two Pesachim here, right? The Pesach of Matzah and the Pesach of the Korban. Here we sort of see them coming together in this analysis. And so here the Bryce says, Lo tishchat Pesach kayan Rabbi right? So Rabbi Shmuel learned from looking at these two Pesachim that one cannot shach the Korban Pesach while they still have chametz around, right? And so therefore, by the time you get around to shechting the Korban Pesach, right, which takes place in the afternoon of the 14th, all the chametz needs to be gone, right? And so therefore, you know, we obviously have to take care of that well before, you know, that time period of chatzot. 
Rabbi Akiva comes and he wants to have a different understanding. And one time we'll spend time talking about that very often Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva have very different ways uh, of approaching how to interpret Pesukim, right? Omer, right? He says, you don't need this as a proof, right? Harehu Omer, right? You can do it just from, from this Pasuk itself. And here he's quoting a Pasuk from Shmot, Perakidbet, Pasuk Zion. So a few Pesukim later. Ach by Yom Harishon, Right? So we have that first pasuk, right? Which, you know, says, yet on the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses. And then two pasukim later, it says, you should not perform any type of work. And so what we learn from this is, is that we know from right? that we learn from this, that starting a fire is an av malacha, right? So basically what he's saying here is that since it's, you know, we have to use fire to burn the chametz, right? It's not for preparing food in this case, but it would be like for just burning chametz, right? That's a type of uh, of burning you're actually not allowed to do. You can't burn chametz on, on Yom Tov, right? You can only burn fire uh, in order to prepare food. So therefore, it must be that you can't actually burn the chametz on Yom Tov itself. Again, it's a technical issue. It's not because of, it, it, it's very different than what Rabbi Yishmael is saying, right? Rabbi Akiva is saying it's because you can't do a fire. You can't actually get rid of it on Yom Tov. So therefore, you must have to do it the day before. And then we have a third opinion here, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi Omer, tzarich, right? He says, you don't need that proof either. Harehu Omer, right? So again, he quotes the same pasuk. Right. And so he says, right, this pasuk means may Arab Yom Tov, right? Oh, ain't no Ella be Yom Tov, right? And again, asking this question, well, maybe it means actually on Yom Tov itself. Tamud Lamar Ach, right? This word Ach is a chilek. It is a, it, it shows a divide, right? The E be Yom Tov Atzmo, Mi Shari, right? And so yet it, it, it's saying, what's the divide here, right? Is it trying to say that it's, you know, it's talking about the day itself, about Yom Tov itself, right? Right? So what do they, he basically says here, right, that these verses are coming to basically make this division into two parts, right? And the idea is that the first day of the festival itself, right, you can't have anything. So therefore, since we have sort of next to each other that, removing the chametz is next to the eating of chametz, right? And the eating of chametz is sort of next to the eating of matzah. So what Rabbi Yossi is trying to do here is he's trying to say that because you sort of have all these connections between these different uh, mitzvot together, right? That in other words, or, or I wouldn't call it mitzvot, but in other words, uh, what we do is sort of juxtaposed together, right? That you have removing chametz is next to eating chametz, and then the eating of, uh, of, of chametz is next to the eating of matzah, right? What all of this has to show is, is that this word ach is trying to show us that there's this division, right? It's the division between when chametz is allowed and when chametz is not allowed. And this obviously has to take place before the actual first day of Yom Tov. I find Rabbi Yossi's opinion actually to be quite confusing.
I think you've handled it quite well. <laughs> I would not have known. I would not have known that you found it confusing. Right. I, I, I'm just saying, I think of all of them, like almost in a way, Rebbe Yishmael's in a way makes the most, is the easiest, I think, in a certain way to understand. And then, you know, you sort of get to Rabbi Akiva, which to me is in between. Rabbi Yossi, to me, is the most complicated. But again, my point to bring this price is just to illustrate this is a very different type of brisa than what we've seen, right? All over a Reuben, we kept seeing brisa's words. Rabbi Huda disagrees with Rabbi Shimon. It's two different, you know, psak halacha. They have a completely different understanding of the halacha. Here we see something totally different, which is everyone agrees, right, that you're getting rid of your chametz at the same time. But how you learned it, how you understood that, what's your actual proof? That's what they have a disagreement on. And I think, therefore, this, you know, allows us to have an interesting discussion or to just pause and think a little bit. Why was that important to the Tanayim? You know, why isn't just the bottom line halacha enough? Why is how you get to that halacha so important to them? Um, so I feel like this is an opportune time to quote Dr. Brian Alivi, who is my teacher for many years. Um, and she spoke about the grammarians who were focused on really the little tiny details of grammar of the biblical text. And she said, but they were doing holy work, right? Meaning nowadays we might relate to the grammarians as not doing the most exciting commentary that we could think of. But for them, they were because they were engaged in the biblical text. So here I feel like Chazal were engaged in the biblical text, you know, that the the degree to which that they could uh, suss it out means that they are, they're doing holy work. Exactly this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it shows like a, a, a complete love and devotion to the written word um, and paying close attention to it. Right. Like if you if you love something and it's beloved to you, those types of details are actually very important to you. So I, and God right. and God. Right. Meaning if you if Chazal, whatever people believe nowadays, and I know that there's quite a range of belief, including amongst our, our co-learners on the podcast. But but Chazal right, I think we can say we're, you know, believers in God and that the Torah was written by God. And therefore, when they engage in the different biblical verses, they're trying to figure out what came from what. The answer to that question has a lot riding on it, even when the answer doesn't change, because they're trying to figure out what does God mean? Right. I, I No, I think that's right. But I think you see this. This is such a typical brisa of this type of train of thought. Um, and I thought that's why it was important to read. I just want to point out one other thing before we wrap it up, um, which Anne and I actually spent a lot of time prepping beforehand, and we don't really have an answer to, but I just wanted to point it out. On Ahmed Bet, there's this category of Ainli Ella Begoy Shiloki Bashto, right? A non Jew who a person did not overcome, the Ain Sharuimach and does not dwell with you in the Chatzer. Now, of course, using the word chutzar, it automatically brought me back to a Reuven, which I guess I'm still not over from learning. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I, I just the contrast of it, right? Like, obviously, here they're discussing what happens with the chametz of a non-Jew, right? Are you responsible for it, not responsible for it? Do you have to remove it? Can you look at it? Can you see it? All these types of things. But what is this category of a Jew, right? Of Sorry, of a non-Jew, right? Shiloki Bashto. Um and I, I just, I'd never seen this language before. I could not find it anywhere else. Um, it's obviously talking about some, 
non-Jews who you don't really have control over their possessions. So like as opposed to like a non-Jewish slave or maybe a servant who lived in your house. Um, but I just thought the language around this was so interesting and obviously made me think a little bit to that case in Eruven, you know, where you shared a chutzer with a non-Jew and you sort of asked the non-Jew very nicely to sort of rent out, you know, the the chutzer or what his own what his ownership is in the chutzer so you can make an Eruv. And here it just sort of was like, well, I don't know, is it too much to ask for them to get rid of their I just thought it was like a totally different dynamic and description here. I think also that once you start talking about Pesach and non-Jews, there's a lot, it's loaded. It's a loaded discussion because, because B'nai Israel escaped from the non-Jews and then they fought the non-Jews and they stole from the non-Jews and they conquered the non-Jews and so on. And then, and then they're living amongst them nicely, right? I think in the time of the Gemara. So, or, you know, maybe not exactly nicely, but, but certainly it's not the same kind of thing as the story of the Exodus. So I feel like this discussion is like, we have to account for the fact that there's a non-Jewish dynamic that was much more heated in the time of the Pesach, which is what they're talking about, the, the commemorative aspect of the holiday, right? Versus, versus uh, you know, now we live together and, and what are we talking about? Whose chametz do we own? And, and could we hide it in our house without actually getting rid of it out of our house? Which, of course, is really the practical question, right? Anybody who's coming to clean their house for Pesach wants to know how far do I really have to go in in getting rid of and getting rid of chametz. Oh yeah, that's that's always really what the essential question is. But I get <laughs> I, I'm sort of leaving this to our learners. If somebody has anything to say about this phrase, I I would love to hear because I I thought it was so peculiar and it was one of those things I like, you know, spent just kept staring at. I was like, I've never seen this before. Well, we'll conclude with that. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff, some of the Midrash Halakha and the discussion around the Psukim on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.